So we're looking at Matthew chapter 16 and learning to follow Jesus, Peter's story. Seeing it clearly when then missing it completely. So Jesus takes his disciples to the far north of the country, a place they'd never been before. It's the only time in the Gospels that the place is mentioned, Caesarea Philippi. Jan and I went there a few years ago. It was in the springtime. It's called a place called Banias. It's where um, one of the three tributaries feed into the River Jordan that irrigates the nation. And it was a, a lovely spring day, and we went to what is essentially a, a park. And there were, remember, some Israeli soldiers having a barbecue. There were some um, people there just enjoying themselves at the very location where Jesus took his disciples and asked them the most momentous question any of us can ever answer. Who do you say I am? Said Jesus. Now significantly, he took them to Caesarea Philippi. The implication is Am I mightier than the emperor who gave his name to this place? It's a bit like Jesus taking us to the White House and says, Who am I? And Peter says, Well, you're the president of presidents. Or if we went to uh, Westminster, Who am I? says Jesus. And Peter says, You're the prime minister of prime ministers. You have greater authority than that of the Roman Empire. So this cliff face that you see in the picture here is just by this park area, and this is where Jesus went. And at the time of Jesus, it was a place of pagan worship. And you can see built into the rock face, there are shrines to different gods. There's a shrine here to Pan, the god of shepherds and their flocks. So who do you say that I am? Am I greater than the pagan gods who are worshipped here? That's the clear implication of Jesus' question. Is he greater than the emperor who gave his name to the place, Caesarea Philippi? Is he greater than the gods that are worshipped in this place? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the supreme authority over all. And then Jesus perhaps takes a pebble from the brook. And then he compares this to Peter. You're Petros, a little pebble, a stone. Then he points behind him at this huge cliff face. Is he comparing Peter to this cliff face? Peter, you are insignificant by comparison with who you have declared me to be. But upon the significance of the words you have confessed, I will build my church. You see, Peter says... Jesus says in in verse 18, I say to you that you are Peter, a little pebble. 
And upon this rock, this Petra, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not overwhelm it. You're insignificant compared with the enormity of what you have just said. You have declared me to be the ultimate authority in the universe. And then he says, Peter, son of Jonas. And Jonas, the word means dove. Perhaps he's saying, the same spirit that came upon me at my baptism in this same river Jordan has come upon you and revealed my identity to you. Because he said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. It's not just some human opinion that other people have offered and said, well, who is this man? Is he a prophet? Jeremiah, John the Baptist, who is this guy? And Jesus is saying, you have had a supernatural revelation from heaven about my identity. That's why you can declare me to be the Messiah, the anointed one, the one whom for centuries the Jews had been waiting for. This is the most important question, not that just the disciples face, but it's the question that each of us faces. This week has been a pretty momentous week in in our family. On Wednesday, we went up to visit Jan's mother, who was celebrating his nine, her 90th birthday. Cause for celebration. But I drove on from there to go to visit my father, um, my m- mother, in Oxford. And Dad was in hospital, age 92, and just being told that he'd got a few weeks to live because of cancer. And the question, whatever our age is, what are we going to do with Jesus Christ? Whether we're in our youth or whether we're facing the last years or months or weeks of our lives, who is Jesus? Each of us needs to come to that decision ourselves. Now, we've looked at Matthew's Gospel. We're going to look at Mark's Gospel now. It's rather interesting. When you look at Mark, the first record we have of Mark's Gospel is a comment by the Papias, a bishop of Hierapolis, a place in Turkey, who said this, Mark became Peter's interpreter and wrote down accurately, as far as he remembered them, the things said and done by the Lord. He had neither heard the Lord nor been his personal follower. But at a later stage, he had followed Peter, who used to adapt his teachings to the needs of the moment, but not as though he were drawing up an unconnected account of the Lord's sayings, so that Mark committed no error in writing certain matters as he remembered them. All very interesting. So, Mark's Gospel is linked with Peter. Of course, in our Bibles, in the the original Greek text, it didn't say, Gospel according to Mark. That's been added much later. But as I was thinking about this, 
I was thinking, well, perhaps we ought to call Mark's gospel Peter's gospel. If you want a very good summary of Mark's gospel, the best summary occurs in Acts chapter 10, where Peter is preaching to Cornelius and the Roman soldiers and the household there of Cornelius. And from Acts 10, 34 to 43, we have a summary of the gospel that Peter preached. If you read those few verses in Acts, it will take you three or four minutes to do. But I imagine if you read Mark's gospel, it would take you about an hour to read. And I can imagine that the gospel that Peter preached to Cornelius was pretty similar to the, the book that we have called Mark's gospel. Of course, Mark was not an eyewitness of the events described, but Peter was of many. He was there when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from death, when Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was praying in Gethsemane. He was one of the, the few disciples who were there with Jesus. And so he was, we're dependent upon him for so much information we have about Mark. About Jesus. Now, just look at this triangle. This is Mark's Gospel. Along the bottom, we have the 16 chapters of the Gospel. And at the very center point, the way it is structured, exactly halfway through, we have this question Who do you say that I am? Everything up until this point has been giving. Hints and clues that Jesus is no ordinary man, but that he is someone special. To the paralyzed man, he says, your sins are forgiven. Who can forgive sins? Only God. He calls people to be sinners. He says he's the bridegroom. The one married to Israel, God's bride. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And then at this point, Peter says, you are the Messiah. And that is marked a turning point. Because from that moment on, Jesus says, I am the Messiah, and I'll tell you what sort of Messiah I am. I'm not the sort you expected. Someone who's going to oust the Romans from this land. This, that, that, that they've occupied the land for so long. No, I'm a suffering Messiah. And as we heard read from the account in Matthew, it talks about how Jesus said he must suffer many things the hands of the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees. And Peter does not want to believe it. He cannot believe that Jesus is that sort of Messiah. And so Jesus has to turn to him and says, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking as man thinks, not God thinks. And then from then on, in Mark's Gospel, there are so many clues about the death of Jesus and what it means. Chapter 8.31, 9.31, 10.33, and then the most important verse in the Gospel. The Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. And we have the description of the last week of Jesus' life. Well, all very interesting, but how does this tie in with Peter? Peter is, pictures Jesus 
as the servant of the Lord. And he is largely the one that we're to thank for Mark's gospel. But what is very significant is all the things that Peter doesn't tell Mark to write down. In fact, in Mark's gospel, Peter comes across in the worst possible light. It's as if Peter is saying, I'll tell my story and I'll tell you how bad I really was. I'll tell you how I cursed and swore that I never knew Jesus, that I denied him after his arrest. I'll tell you how I was always putting my foot in my mouth. It's surprising all the things that Peter misses out that we have in Mark's Gospel. All the things that we'd want to put on our CV uh, that make us look really good, that make us look a bit special or heroic or important, are the very things that Peter misses out from telling Mark. And there's a reason for that. Let's just look at seven of them. Do you remember in Luke's Gospel, we read about this miraculous catch of fish. How Jesus says to Peter, come on, throw your nets over the other side, you'll catch some fish. Peter says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And then in Luke, 10, Luke 5, 10, Jesus, is promi- Jesus promises Peter, don't fear, from now on you'll be catching men. Wow, I'm going to be someone really special. And then the account of the storm on the lake. Jesus crossing, walking on the water and saying to Peter, get out of the boat, walk on the water. And Peter did that. He walked on the water. But you won't read about that in Mark's account. But Matthew tells us that it was Peter that did it. And then at the feeding of the 5,000, you'll read in all of the Gospels. But in Mark's Gospel, it won't tell you that very powerful thing that Peter says, which we have recorded in John 6, after the 5,000 have said, are fed, Peter says, Jesus says, you're going to leave me also? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We may not understand everything you're saying, but we're going to stick with you. And Peter pledges his loyalty to following Jesus. So three things where Peter appears in a really good light, but doesn't tell Mark any of them to write down. And then the account that we read in Matthew, uh, Matthew 16, the promise to Peter. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you shall loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And Peter could be thinking, wow, I really am someone very special. But when he tells Mark about the incident, he said, don't write that down. When Jesus is arrested, we read of one disciple who came to Jesus' aid and bravely defended Jesus. And, but it's not Mark that records that it was Peter who took his sword and cut off the ear of Malchus, one of the people who were in the arresting party. It's not Mark that tells us how Jesus commissioned Peter 
after his resurrection, to look after God's sheep. It's not Mark that gives us that prophecy about Peter and about how he would die. So of all the good things that Peter could have said about himself, in his account to Mark, he leaves them out. And he plays his own importance down and he gives us a very accurate portrayal of what he was like in some ways. He admits the good things that show him in a good light and tells us honestly what he was like as a person. How he was headstrong, impetuous, passionate, impulsive and wholehearted. But very much a flawed individual. Now, as a congregation, you've been looking at Peter's letters. And I want to just briefly draw a comparison between how Peter appears in his letters and how Peter appears in Mark's Gospel. This is what Eugene Peterson writes in his introduction to his translation of 1 and 2 Peter. The two letters Peter wrote exhibit the qualities of Jesus that the Holy Spirit shaped in him. A readiness to embrace suffering rather than prestige. A wisdom developed from experience and not imposed from a book. A humility that lacked nothing in vigour or imagination. From what we know of the early stories of Peter, he had in him all the makings of a bully. That he didn't become a bully but rather the boldly confident and humbly self-effacing servant of Jesus Christ that we discern in these letters is a compelling witness to what he himself described as a, a brand new life with everything to live for. So, what was Peter like? How did he become? I've just put together five qualities that we read about in Peter's letters, a switch has take place, taken place. We see that Peter is now a servant. How he is, talks about serving the church. That's not something that comes across in Mark's Gospel. He is a wise man now much slower to speak, a man full of integrity, someone who's tenacious, who is going to endure with Jesus all the suffering that is necessary. Peter writes, if anyone suffers as a Christian. In the Gospel, Mark's Gospel, it seems Peter is so keen to avoid suffering. He doesn't want Jesus to suffer. He certainly doesn't want to suffer himself. But that's all changed. And we read of a new humility and compassion about this man. God has been at work in Peter's life. So we don't know quite when Mark's Gospel was written and when Peter's letters were written. They could have been written about the same time. 
And so we have Peter's message to the church. And then we have Peter's message, his account of the life of Jesus. We could say this is from Simon to Peter. So Mark's gospel was written at about the same time as 1 Peter by the same person. It presents us with a picture of Jesus during the life of a picture of Peter during the life of Jesus about 30 years before the insights we gain about Peter from his letters. By placing the documents side by side, we see more clearly what Peter was like in AD 30 and AD 60. Now, this is the important thing for us. We can see how God changed this man. How this headstrong, impetuous, bully perhaps, bossy person, was taken by Christ and transformed. And over the years, this metamorphosis took place. He was transformed or transfigured from one degree of glory to another. And this is where it touches our lives. Because for those of us who know Jesus as our Saviour, who've made that confession that Jesus is Lord, the same Holy Spirit who revealed Jesus' identity to us and enable us to say Jesus is Lord is the same Holy Spirit that is changing our hearts, changing our motives, changing our attitudes, changing our priorities. That God is at work within us, little by little, step by step, Challenging us, confronting us, comforting us. Putting a finger on things in our lives and saying, actually, you need to adjust that attitude. Or consider this. So Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, was at work in Peter's life. And he's at work in our lives. And like Peter, there are times when we get it completely wrong. We have these flashes of insight. And then these moments of betrayal and denial. And yet the good news is, God is at work to change us. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you were at work in Peter's life. How you in revealed the identity to Jesus of Jesus to him by the Holy Spirit. And how you were, were at work changing him as a man into the person you wanted him to be. We thank you for the encouragement of this for us. Just as you are the same today, yesterday, today and forever... So the Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today and forever and is at work in our lives. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to move in us, to change us day by day into the person you want us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.